3: This podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, the virtual private network which allows fans to watch football games, films and TV shows that aren't available in your region. It even saves on travel costs, so if you're planning on travelling with the family or to watch the Amazon Europe, NordVPN allows you to purchase flights and hotels from different locations across the world and that will save you a few quid. Maybe you're a bit of a shady character and whatever you're up to, you want to give yourself the best possible chance of not getting caught. Whatever the scenario, NordVPN provide high-level protection for your data and personal information wherever you are in the world, and boast the fastest virtual private network in the world, so no buffering and no lagging. So for less than a pint or a cup of coffee per month, you fans can watch all the games you want live from the comfort of your own sofa. Visit Nordvpn.com forward slash West Amway to get your exclusive discount plus four months free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's NoldvpN.com forward slash West Amway. You're
1: listening to the West Amway podcast with Dave and X. Oi right. Oi!
3: Hello and welcome to the West Hamway podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWH employee. Once again, we have two games to talk about, including the quarterfinal first leg against Ghent and a well-earned point against title contenders Arsenal. We talk about a trip to Belgium, the performance on Thursday night and the fascinating tie on Sunday. How much credit should David Moyes get for that performance? Are the players playing for him or for themselves? We also cover another big week that includes the return leg against Ghent and a relegation battle against Informed Bournemouth before getting news from X and answering questions from Patreons of the West Ham Way. Next, again, we have two games to talk about this week. Let's start with our trip to Belgium. What did you make of our time over there? Our time or the match? <laughs>
4: there uh, let's start with our time. Let's start okay. with our time. Okay, so yeah, our time was pretty good. You know, obviously we um, went out there and it's always the away days are great. Um, Belgium, not the greatest of experiences last time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, neither again, thankfully, is a, a nicer place than Brussels. So, uh, yeah, it was a better experience. Obviously, we stayed in the hotel that was right opposite the stadium. So the chances of getting smashed up on the, in between the journeys to the stadium was minimalised was by that um, close proximity, thanks, thankfully. But uh, we we also stayed in the same hotel as the players and officials, which was mm. quite in, interesting to be a part of. And. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. It was more boozy than perhaps I, I'm used to, and because uh, usually I do one day and then not, but, uh, yeah, two days boozing is uh, it's quite extreme for me nowadays, so, yeah, it was a bit of a, a heavy one, but an enjoyable one nonetheless.
3: Well, I, um, honestly, mate, as you know, I feel a bit under the weather now, and I don't know if that's a backdrop of the few days that I've had, because I think in the run-up would you surprise of the morning, me, mate. Oh, mate, honestly, I think <laughs> in a run-up to, run to 40 as well, it's yeah. like if you get on it once, it's like a three-day recovery period. So in theory, if you get on it twice like we did, then you're looking your best part of a week. <laughs> if, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. if you apply maths to the equation. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if that's anything to do with it, but uh, apologies to anyone listening to this, and I, I I sound a bit ropey. That's because I am. But uh, as, they show, as they say, the show must go on. But yeah. it's quite funny for me, because when we went to Heathrow, Um, I turned to the bookings manager, aka X, and I said to him, I said, what airlines are we going with, mate? And he said, "Uh, Brussels Airlines. And I misheard him. I thought he said, Russell's Airline. (laughs) So I said to him, fuck me, mate, that sounds a bit pony, doesn't it? And he said, what do you mean? I said, Russell's Airline. I said, where the fuck did you find him from? <laughs> and, then, and then in our immaturity, we're like two kids in a school class, we then collectively created this picture of like this single man called Russell controlling everything on the airline. <laughs> you know, from like, okay, this is your Captain Russell speaking. I'm now on 142 on how to fly the aircraft. I should be with you shortly. I'll be selling <laughs>
1: drinks, food.
3: I'll be doing the safety instructions. And uh, that gave us more entertainment than it should it should have actually. Funny start. That was yeah. a funny start. Um, and then when we finally arrived in um, Brussels, we then had to drive from Brussels to Ghent. And uh, to be fair, through no fault of our own, that was a bit fucking long-winded as well, mate, When it? Because we had a sat-nav that weren't really playing ball. And mm. uh, we went straight to get our tickets, didn't we? Yeah. Um, just to uh, cheer the mood a little bit. You know, I remembered one of the features that I do on this podcast is the Who Are You feature, where uh, I tell the listeners a little bit about our forthcoming opponents. And I thought, well, you know, we'll kill a bit of time in the car, So I said to X, you know, do you want to hear some fun facts about Ghent? And uh, you said, yeah, all right. Uh, and I gave him those facts. I repeated that on a podcast. And uh, there's a reason I'm telling everyone that. So <laughs> keep that in your back pocket, because I'm keeping that in my back pocket, because that <laughs> comes out of my back pocket later on in the story. Um, <laughs> But then we went there and uh first night X we, obviously we checked in eventually great curry mate I'm sure you'll agree yeah. great curry yeah, great yeah. wine from you as well I yeah. mean where does that rank for you in terms of curries the one we found in Brussels or skin should I say
4: yeah it's got to be up there to be fair I mean like, there's a place called Little India which is not far from my house which will be hard pushed to ever be beaten but in terms of one off curries that I've had I think it's got to be up there I think I think the 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 serve the the waitress was a bit moody, although you broke um her her wall of steel um by the end of it and, and charmed her by the end. But she I think quite, so. Quite yeah, she liked you by the end, and she was quite moody to start with. But the actual meal itself was <laughs> spot on, spot on. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it was lovely, mate. It was lovely. A uh, big question mark over the bargies because I thought they yes. were sort of like crispy Maltesers, which we're uh, not used to over here, are we?
4: And the Papa Doms were a little bit ropey, to be fair. But the actual, the actual
3: main meal did, did turned it round for the for the carryout stuff. They, you're spot on. So I'm a Barges man. I love that as a side. That was disappointing. Uh, Papa Doms at least want six. Yeah, um, we got two, and they were spicy version. They were bang average at best. But that's all we can say in terms of negativity in that respect, because the actual curry was literally unbelievable. So that was Mm. great. And uh, Mm. in the run-up to this curry, we'd agreed to meet some of the lads back at the hotel we were staying in and X says quite rightly that we were staying in the hotel that the players were staying in. Now we never expected to see any of the players because typically when the players book a hotel on a European tour or maybe even away in this country, they're very much kept uh, away. Typically, I think the club will book out an entire floor and they'll have their meetings up there. They'll have to sleep up there, they'll have their food up there. So you, you never really get to see them. Um, so it was never in our mind that we would do. So. After the curry, we went back to the hotel to meet the people that we said that we was going to meet. And uh, we got to the table, said hello to everyone. And lo and behold, the skipper was there, ex. Mark Noble was sitting there, yeah. which I thought was absolutely fantastic. What a lovely surprise. And you know what? I think this now goes on to speak volumes about Mark Noble. And there's nothing we can say to you now going forward that you're not going to expect to hear. Because I think we all know what a, a man Mark Noble is. We all know he's called Mr. West Ham for a reason. But when you look at it and you break it down, yes, he's a club ambassador, if you like. Yes, he's the technical director of football. But actually, when you look at what he did this night, when we first walked in to meet the people we were going to meet, some of which included senior executives, etc., he was sitting there and we had a nice chat with him and it was really, really good. He was literally, when it was busy in the hotel, bouncing round from table to table. And that's not, I don't believe in his job description. He was going around from table to table, talking to West Ham fans, shooting the shit about West Ham, because like me and you, and like everyone listening to this show, just enjoy talking about West Ham because you're a West Ham fan. And that's what impressed me about him. Even though we knew... What we'd expect from Mark Noble, and and this is going to surprise nobody, the fact that he's then gone out of his way to do something that he didn't have to do and ultimately spent quite early in the hours with us predominantly amongst others was quite impressive, wasn't it? And I, I think it's fair to say we really enjoyed his company.
4: Yeah, I mean you don't like you say, you don't expect him to spend as long as he did, but he, he spent going on to the early hours of the morning sitting yeah. chatting to us and, and others about everything really. I mean obviously large um, percentage um percentages about West Ham, but then we got to sort of know him on a sort of banter jokey scale and stuff and um yeah, by the end of it he was taking the piss out of me, taking the piss yeah. out of you. And it was <laughs> um yeah, it was it was a really good laugh and he and as as you said, mate, he was very much, very much um what you'd want him to be, uh, as in, uh, uh, like, you hoped he'd be a nice guy, an absolute legend, and he was. So, yeah, great experience, that and one that,
3: you know, we didn't expect to have, but were very lucky to have. Well, see, I don't know how much we can say now, right? And I'm a little bit tentative at this bit, but what I thought was quite funny, and, and I'm, I and I well and truly appreciate that it's one of the things you had to be there for, so maybe it actually isn't that funny. But as as the hours wore on, Um, it just became the group of us. And in that group was me, you again, some senior executives, um, some ticket office staff, Mark Noble and, uh, a couple of, shall we say, stereotypically old school individuals that are with (laughs) us is that fair to say X? I i think so yeah i think most
4: people (laughs) will probably get an idea of what we what we what we're alluding to sort of X, I, C, F. icf um like proud of their icf roots um yeah yeah kind of your classic like, if you was to do a Harry Enfield character of a, as a West Ham fan, what, he's, he's one of them, basically. Like, you, know, you got the, sc- the Scousers, like, in Harry Enfield. Calm down, calm down. These are your, like, classic West Ham equivalents, I think.
3: <laughs> it was, and, and this is where I've got to be a li- little bit careful here, but <laughs> I tell you what, there's icebreakers and there's icebreakers, because, like I say, we're now down to just one table left in the whole hotel, and I don't even know what time this was now. Um And it consists of the names that I've just mentioned or the, the personnel that I've just mentioned, including me and X. And all of a sudden, a kind of spotlight has gone on one of these two brothers who were, like I say, very stereotypically old school. And we've just heard him say it, not we? Yeah, so, uh, well, I think it all started when... uh I was put away for a four-year stretch for uh, ABH. Um, is, you know, I don't want to go into it, but the geezer was asking for it. Uh, and then I came out, got myself a bit straight, and then I went away for a 10-year stretch for armed robbery. Uh, and then I came out, thought it was on a straight and error, and then some other cunt piped up. And then, uh, you know, the rest is history. I'd done a three-year on that. And I came out, done two years on that. And then I think, you know, we're sitting there thinking, fucking hell. I mean, there's, there's ways of breaking the ice with people. And I think quite a few people around that table started to shit themselves a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And then the night just transcended into chaos, didn't it, really? I mean, to be fair to the skipper he was very calm and composed throughout all of this and he was very professional in terms of what he did and didn't say and you know he was a consummate ambassador of West Ham if you like but fuck me that did provide some entertainment next, didn't it that fella
4: well yeah especially when he started offering Mark Noble who who asking Mark who he'd like um, him to stab he would he was <laughs> <I should laughs> sitting there one minute holding Mark's hand saying I love you gnomes I love you gnomes I love you skims and then he'll be like right anyway because I love you so much much. which one of these do you want to stab and um because uh <laughs> noble i happen to be sitting opposite noble and obviously i think he was a bit skeptical about meeting x in very uh, comments for the first time he was saying that one over there and by the end of it like as in me by the end of it i was thinking this guy should not be encouraged <laughs> seriously and at one point the um the, uh, true, the, by the way bar staff came over and i said right we're going to turn the lights off now and i went you're bloody well not i <laughs> <laughs> oh, Game over for me at that point. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, fa- yeah. thankfully, um, nose pushed it to the point and then reined it back in and said, no, nah, we're all West Ham. We don't need to do that. <laughs> that
3: was a crazy experience. Oh, mate, that was so funny. And then at one point, and I think possibly, you're better, you're better off describing what happened next? Because I think at this point, um <clears throat> I would say I was uncharacteristically pissed. Is that fair to say? <laughs> uh, so, I'm
1: saying, so Scott, one maybe of those, I, do, I do remember. I do remember.
3: I do remember. I do remember that the the man in question was advised by a senior member of staff that maybe. Just maybe it'd be better if he he turned it in and he he went to bed for the night. And then, X, I think your recollection of what happened then is possibly a little bit better than mine. Well, yeah,
4: know. so that's exactly what happened at that point. Um, you were characteristically pissed, I would say, um, <laughs> rather than <laughs> uncharacteristically. Blanderous. <laughs> and uh, So I, I was drunk, don't get me wrong, but I was... Whenever it's a sort of night out and I, and I know... Ultimately, I'm staying in the same place and I'm going to be going to bed. I kind of don't drink as much, whereas if I think I'm going out to a bar or a club or something like that, then I'll drink more. So I was drunk, but within control. Drunkness, I would say. And um, anyway, so, yeah, the man in question, the Stabber, we shall call him, um, <laughs> the, he, <Stabber. laughs> the Blade, um, he um, he said, um well, he was advised by, like you say, the people in the club to... Maybe he should turn it in, in now. And, uh, his behavior is getting a little bit raucous, shall we say? And, um, he did listen and he, he took himself to bed and, um, then about five minutes later, we had a security guard come rushing in and say, "You need to go up, and you need to you need to um, help your mate. You need to help your mate get to bed because he's starting on everyone, and he's trying to get to the players." And I just said, "Right," because his brother was there, so the ultimate person who's going to sort the situation out is his brother. But yeah. you, you being you, and i like, oh, complex. have got to we've got to see what's happening. We can't miss this. We can't <laughs> miss this. And I was like, "Oh no, mate, just leave it." Like, no, we can't miss this. It's going to be a brilliant story. We can't miss this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh God. God. So, so I followed you up there and the, the geezer had got about three of the security staff around the neck and pinned them up against the wall and stuff and I think they eventually, eventually been thrown into his bedroom by the biggest one and then uh, they were all sort of holding court, shall we say in the um, in the lobby, all the security guards and you went over to them and you said, is there anything um, the matter? What's, what's happened lads? And they told the story and were saying about what happened and his brother was there, his brother was absolutely hammered, so but immortal but having at the same time, so he wasn't much use. He was just going, "I can't believe he's done this." Basically, he always does this. Whereas you took it upon yourself. So at one point, I said, "Listen, guys, we could have called the police and got you chucked out, um, or we could have put him to bed." You're like, "No, no, you did the right thing. Did the right thing." And he was like, "Because we were very close to calling the police." And he went, "No, no, no, thank you, mate. Thank you, mate." And this guy was like, "People, Martin Allen calls me a midget, but next to this guy, I was a fucking giant." So that's was tiny. I mean, he was you know, tiny. Red
1: as well, didn't yeah,
4: well this is, yeah, this is what I'm getting to. I mean, he was probably like maybe five foot two, maybe I'm guessing, maybe five foot three at best, and he had a big bald head. And Dave in his drunkness thinks the, the way to, to thank a guy that's just been pinned up against the wall is to turn into Laurent Blanc um, in the World Cup 98 and kiss his Fabian Bartes head on the top and say, thank you, mate, you're a diamond. Thank you, mate. <laughs> oh, I'm patronising. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. I can't guy, believe I've done a, that. And the guy kind of looked semi-thankful like thankful for your gratitude, <laughs> but, 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 but semi-pissed off for your patronising kit. So I'm not quite sure what his actual overall overriding emotion was by the end of that experience.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. That's so <laughs> funny. That's <is> so funny. <laughs> and then... Uh, And then for me personally, I think I was up to four or five with a staff member just drinking in my hotel room, so I didn't feel ultimately that fresh (laughs) on the Thursday. Um, But then come Thursday, we go once again. It's uh, worth
4: saying, you feeling ultimately not that fresh, inverted commas, did mean that any potential bus tour or boat tour was abandoned as a result. Well, I, I think that's a little
3: bit harsh. What, he didn't get up to 12 o'clock? And the match yeah, I mean, there is that. It's off. a bit of a time <laughs> thing, I suppose. But, um, yeah, well, I, I was going to say, we could have potentially looked at the Friday, but then, to be honest, Thursday night was fucking worse than the Wednesday night, so <laughs> maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. you're right. But we now do go once again in the next day and um, we met up with Mark Phillips who's a, a, a great man, a great coach and a big West Ham fan and a, a number of his pals and we're having a good drink with him which is really good during the day. And then we're walking through Ghent and we're seeing people we know left, right and centre. And it's just amazing, like that little bars and that sort of family atmosphere where you're sort of stopping and speaking to people that you do know, you don't know. And that's what Away Days is all about. You know, you're all there for the same reason and it, it's just absolutely brilliant. And then, um, you know, in the square, which is what Ghent's quite famous for, there's a number of sort of uh, bars and coffee shops and all sorts there. And then um we stumble across... um, some of the staff from the night before. So we go in there, uh, they're in the outside bit where all the tables are and that. And we was having a bit of a chat with them or whatever and having a bit of banter. And then I turn around and basically sitting across the way from them, I spotted Tony Cotty. And uh, now people will know that um, we know Tony, you know, he's a great man, Tony, and uh, he writes a column for us every month. And he's done podcasts with us and he's done a virtual event with us. He's done real events with us. Um, great man. And we've got a good, good relationship with Tony. So, um, but you could argue, you could argue, and maybe I'm, um, I don't know, maybe I'm being harsh on ourselves here, X, but you could argue that whilst he would know us if we texted him or called him, would he necessarily know who we were if we bumped into him in public? Because no, that many times, right? Which so, is why I stressed who I
4: was when I went up to him.
3: Right, okay, yeah, so the mistake I made is that I don't think I did and I assumed that he'd know who I was for some ridiculous reason probably the alcohol right and then what then ensued was quite possibly the most awkward three or four minutes of my fucking life right so I've gone up to um the man next to Tony who is his close friend les um now I've dropped a bit of a bollock because I think uh les is in uh, les is in the event game as well and uh, I've met him at our events before, but I've slipped up a little bit. And I've gone over and I said, hello, Len, how you doing, mate? My name's Dave. We have met before. And straight away just goes, yeah, it, the name's Les. So I think he was a bit put <laughs> out by the fact I got his name wrong, right? Shit start. But then straight away, I said, oh, sorry, Les. Yeah, of course you are. This, that, and the other. And then I don't know why I did it, but Tony's sitting down next to Les drinking a beer. And I turned around to him and I said, uh, oh, here he is. The man that overcharges us for our articles every month, right? <laughs> Thinking that he would fall about laughing in hysterics of what is the most funniest quip anyone's ever made ever. And, uh, all he reacted to that was, oh, yeah, all right, undercharge more like. So we're about 90 seconds into this conversation and I can sense I'm dying on my ass. <laughs> well, I can sense this is a fucking car crash so far. I've got X next to me. Les is looking at me like I'm a right cunt. So I'm thinking, I need something to fall back on here. So I thought, right, okay, I've got it. I said, um, it's Tom, do you want to hear some fun facts about Ghent? <laughs> With that, he just picked up his and He went, no, not really. <laughs> so, so I said... All right, Tom. No, fair enough, mate. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of your time in Belgium. <laughs> fucking turn around and walked off. It was, oh, God, it was awful. <laughs> it was the most exchanges I've ever had in my fucking
4: life. It was well, disaster. Uh... At that point, I think, I don't know if you remember this part, but you sort of stormed off quickly because you are obviously embarrassed. And uh, sort of, rather than go sort of smoothly and slink your way out, you went, come on, X, let's go, X, X, I I was still talking to him, X, let's go, X, let's go. X, let's go. I went, for fuck's sake, mate, i meant to be anonymous. And everyone, like, cracked up in the bar at that point.
1: At
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was a horrible couple of minutes there. Fucking hell. <laughs> and listen... I must say, this is more on me, you know, because there is an element of this story that might trade Tony as quite rude. He's not. He's the loveliest fella in the world. But um, I think it was more my doing, really, and some poor error of judgments in terms of conversational starters. <laughs> but that was that. And then, um, obviously, we went on to the game, which we'll cover. But then after the game, we met up with a group of lads. And uh, the group of lads in question, you just know it's going to be carnage when you do meet them. And uh, the hotel after the game was absolutely full of West Ham and some Ghent as well, and everyone's getting on it. And, uh, you know, I ended up going back to my hotel room with a few of these lads and just getting on it till fucking six in the morning, I think. I think that's why I'm a bit run down now, to be honest. <laughs> as the recovery period's just horrendous. And uh, I remember at one point, <laughs> X wouldn't have something to eat after the game. And uh, again, it's just it's just classic me saying something but not thinking about what I'm saying, not taking in my surroundings. <laughs> And I think you had a carbon X, didn't you? And uh, uh, I great, was uh, um, I was sitting with you. I said I'd come with you at the Saint to eat. And then I got called away, I think, into the bar, I don't know, I'd do some shots or whatever it might have been. So I did. And uh, but I'd arranged a substitute for you to to be with whilst you are eating on your own. And uh, <laughs> and that substitute came in and was talking to you. <laughs> but I remember coming into you and uh for want a better expression, <laughs> or I say coming up to the table. And, uh, saying to you, uh, ex, um, you know, I hope you realize there, I, 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 might have gone missing a little bit there, uh, and left you on your own, but not for too long because I've got a standing for me, uh, that could keep you company whilst you eat because you don't want to eat on your own, dear, you? looking like some sort of tragic pedo nonce. And those <laughs> were the words I used. But as soon as I said it. I instantly realized that there was one man on his own to X's right and one man on his own to X's left. (laughs) And I said it, and straight away X gave me the eyes, and and they both side eyed me as well. I was like, oh, fucking hell. (laughs) Terrible, tragic, pedo nonce. Like, Like, tragic says it all. But pedo would have been enough, but pedo-nonce, like tragic <laughs> pedo-nonce. Oh, my God. Honestly, I felt so was, bad.
4: I, I was happy sitting on my own as well. I was like <laughs> I mean, I reading my phone, like, you know, to reply to text messages. I didn't need a substitute for you. I also didn't need a substitute. Bless the person in question, because he's a top bloke, but I didn't need a substitute that was absolutely battered out their head anyway. I'd already moved away from the people that were battered out their heads in the park to get some piece of quiet so I didn't need one to then follow me into a mill who couldn't construct a sentence together and then apparently according to my sources spent the whole of the journey back to England the next day throwing up out the car window so I was was sitting there having this conversation with another drunk person not being that drunk myself um, whilst sitting embarrassed because of what you've labelled every male businessman that happens to be on a a business trip next to me as well so uh, yeah <laughs> it's uh, not a great of and I thought at this point you and the rest of the lads had absolutely gone. And I thought, yeah, um,
3: it was um, a write-off. I think you know, that it was that.
4: absolute carnage. And I just, thought I'm just going to go to bed and uh, enjoy it. And uh, you made it very clear that despite being the designated driver the next day, you were not going to drive. So I uh, thought I must. Uh, so I thought I better go to bed and actually be semi. Well, before the journey back, given how crap the journey was on the way here, So, yeah, yeah, I I reined it in relatively early that night.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was a funny, funny night, though. Funny night. Um, Let's talk about the game then again. What did you think of the performance?
4: It wasn't very good, was it, really? I mean, let's be honest, it, was, it wasn't a great performance. I think we were surprisingly unbothered, even though it was a European Cup quarter final. It seemed like the players didn't really care that much when for some of them, if not all of them, it was probably, aside from obviously the ones that played in the semifinal last year, it was one of the biggest games of their career um, in terms of club football, and they um, didn't seem that, that bothered by it, really. And I think that showed the performance I think we were lucky on the balance of play to come out of a draw. Um and you know, I think a draw is a good result. I think going into the home league, we should expect to win that. So if you if you're talking yeah, as results-based business, which we've stressed is the current situation that the result is not a bad result, it's not the greatest, but it's not the bad not a bad result to go away and draw. Um but the performance itself um wasn't very good, I would say.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, um, I haven't got him in front of me actually, but I think it was 20 shots to our four, eight corners to our three. I mean, do you think we were lucky in a sense to get away with a draw again? (laughs)
4: Um, I mean, I haven't seen the VARs, I mean, apparently it was a bit harsh for Guerns like, goal, to be ruled, I haven't seen it, so again, I, I'm sure I'm going to get hundreds of messages telling me I'm wrong, I've only seen it from live at the game, but apparently it was a little bit harsh, and apparently the chalet, it was the right decision, apparently, um, and then obviously there was the piquetas, but apparently that was the right decision as well, there was a couple of other chances where we should have taken them, so I think... I think it was probably a fair result, although if you had to say who was the better side, you probably would say that the opponents were the better side, yeah. So maybe it was kind quite, quite lucky to come away with a draw, but ultimately, again, it is a draw. It sets us up perfectly for the home leg, and um, that will then make that game more meaningful than it was last time. Like, you know, when we played Larnaca and we'd won 2-0 out in Larnaca, the home leg was... Like, after we'd scored one, was pretty much dead, hence why there wasn't that many crowd there as well. This quarter will hopefully bring in the crowd, hopefully get a, a good performance and a win, which can be used as motivation on the back of a, a very good performance against Arsenal. So ultimately, yes, the performance wasn't great, but we're still in the competition. We're healthily in the competition. So I would take it, if you'd said to me at the start, it would be a draw, I wouldn't be over the moon with it
3: but I wouldn't be devastated either and that's kind of the emotions I have now so how confident are you that we're going to make it through and if we do X how do you feel about the prospect of an Anderlecht reunion (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm very confident
4: that we'll make it through if he selects the right team for Thursday obviously he's got to get a balance between those that played on Sunday those that are going to play against Bournemouth after that game on a Sunday and a strong enough team to get us through but I think we should get through I mean they looked decent and a couple of players, particularly their forward that look lively but I would fancy our chances at home um, and so I'm confident we'll get through, it looks like we're going to play Adelaide which I literally couldn't be any more pissed off with because I, I've been watching their results ever since we had our experience in Adelaide, I've been watching their results and praying they lose and I can't believe we like on of, of European tours. Like we're going to have the same team and that team twice in the same season. And you know the good thing about it, from a football perspective, is that we've beat them twice, home and away. So we should have no fears about beating them in the semi final. So from a football perspective, it's good. From a enjoying an away day perspective, it's not. Um, but ultimately, if it comes down to having a couple of lovely days abroad or West Ham getting to a European final, I'll take. Say getting to European finals if it is adelect as
3: long as we beat them then happy days yeah it's hard to disagree with any of that um, because I think you know it's interesting because we had a, a chat with quite a few lads out there and quite a few lads out there in Ghent, was talking about being in Brussels uh, for Andelect, and uh, me and you both said it was a shithole, but quite a few of them counteracted that and said, well, no, I actually thought it was all right. I think the way to summarise Brussels, really, through our eyes, is that the square itself is quite nice, but everything outside of that is shit. Well, it certainly was that we saw, and certainly was where we stayed, uh, and obviously we had that nice little experience with the uh, with the Andelect fans as well. So, yeah, it's not ideal. I mean... It, <laughs> I think whenever you get a new European round, you always want to go somewhere different and experience somewhere different from a personal perspective in terms of travel. But AZ Alkmaar were one of these teams that early doors, people were saying, well, maybe they could be dark horses. If we can get rid of them to a side that we've beaten twice already, I'll take that all day long because that's a semi-final X. And if you beat them again, then you're in Prague. So, you know, I I think if we can get past Ghent, and please God, he takes it seriously, he sets up in the right way, tactically, he gets it right, and we get the job done. Then we're on to a semi-final that we should win, and then we're 90 minutes away from winning our first major trophy in over 40 years. Absolutely incredible. Um, So let's, let's hope, we live in hope. But then we go on to the Arsenal game, X, and listen, I have to say that I'm a big believer in if you're going to knock someone when they do something wrong then you have to be praising them when they do something right. So credit where credit's due, I thought tactically Moyes got it right. What did you think of the game, especially 10 minutes into it?
4: Well, uh, mate, that that makes you a much a bigger man than some, in my opinion. That you can do that. And obviously, that's why I don't mind um, debating football with you as heatedly as as it can get between us at, at times, because I do know that you are always willing to do that. You are willing to reassess your opinion, and if further, I don't know evidence or whatever comes to court, then to analyse it and take it as it is. Um, at two 0 down, I was I was literally, oh my god, I can't believe this. I started getting messages immediately when the second goal came through. Uh, I bet you're still backing that ginger cunt now, um, X, aren't you? Uh, I like started getting loads of them. Um, like, I must have had about five or six of the games coming. Oh, uh, How can you defend this, you wanker, and stuff like all coming in? And then it it was a bad first start. I mean, actually, I think the first maybe three minutes or four minutes before they scored, we actually played quite well. I and mean, then obviously they got the goal, and it was a massive um, knock to the conference. And then a second goal, and I thought, "Oh God, here we go." But what you got to take from that is the the boys never like sort of accepted defeat. They still kept playing a high tempo. I thought the crowd were brilliant, and, and that's been pleasing. If the last two games, even against Newcastle before we started to get battered, the crowd were um were on on point, and um, and that's really good. And then the players really kept kept going, kept going, kept going. And by the end of it, I thought we could have won the game. Um, and you know, I think. I think that is a real testament to the fact that Moyes, uh, or the players, or wherever it may be, are still fighting and you know, there's been question marks about, oh, these people don't want it anymore. They don't care. I think that game proved that it did. I thought Declan Rice was brilliant and he was leading the the team um, and leading the fans and really up for the battle. And I thought we played really, really well. You know. I then went to message someone, and the person's an avid listener to Patreon. Apparently, so they the podcast, i know what happened and to say after I got those messages to say to them. So, what am I allowed to think now after we got a good result, and they deleted their message? <laughs> and then, and then when I replied, they claimed that they didn't mean to delete their message, but we—I think mean, we all know the truth there. And um, and the argument just would was just getting stupid. they were bringing in points that had no relevance to the fact the West Ham had played well, and this is this is where my issue is. So, your opinions. You, as in Dave Walker, I can take because I know that you're prepared to reassess situations and look at further examples. These people were so blind by the fact that they hate Moyes that much that they wouldn't even accept it was a good performance. Like, oh no, it was a great performance, it was only a draw at home. You know, no mention of the fact it was Arsenal and everyone expects us to get battered, blah 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 blah. And I think that's what you've got to do. And as I've always said during this period, I really think. Moyes will keep us up, whether it's Moyes, or the players, or the fact that all the other teams are weak, uh, weak whatever it may be, we will stay up. Sorry, that's my phone, I thought it was on the um, That That we will stay up, and then we'll see, we'll have a go at a European competition, and then we will assess the situation in the summer. These people seem to think I'm saying Moyes should keep the job beyond that. I'm not, I'm just saying I think he will keep us up, and I don't mean to be arrogant. It is looking more and more like that. I also predicted that Leicester or Crystal Palace would fall into the relegation battle. I now believe, we now know that that's Leicester, and I think Leicester will go down. Um, and also, it's also been shown that all these new managers come in, none of them jump out to me as one that West Ham should have got either. So all this stick I've taken, I'm not saying I've been proven right yet, because I haven't, but that performance on Sunday was enough to me to back up what I've been saying, that we should have enough to start, but I thought individually, there was some very strong performances as well, but there is one, Christian criticism that I will still have at David Moyes and I just cannot believe he allows it to happen every week but on the whole it was a very good performance from 15 minutes or whatever it was when the second goal went in onwards.
0: There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well,
3: I know what the indefensible is in that respect, and we will come to that. I mean look I ain't going to get carried away X you know oh no you not, can't it's you, one you've performance not, it's, exactly you, you've not suddenly got a new ally no in they've terms got oh, no, no. they've
4: respect. got to build on that don't get me wrong I'm, yeah, not sitting sure. here and saying, I'm not sitting here and saying job done you know if we go and play <clears throat> on Thursday get knocked out the cup and get battered at Bournemouth you know you could turn around and say to me in three or four days time oh my god you've been proven wrong you were uh, you were you know look how terrible we are so it's very game by game basis at the moment and for yeah. Not, one minute am I sitting here saying West Ham are, uh, you know, we're back we're safe. You now we do have to consider that Bournemouth are on a, a good front a form at the moment and they've beaten Tottenham at the weekend but I, I do believe if we get back against Bournemouth, it's back to square one with this lot. So mm-hmm. for not for one minute am I saying job done, I'm 100% correct. I'm hoping that the performance against Arsenal can at least shine a little bit of light onto why the facts I think he can keep us up at the end of the season.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, right? Because, um, you know, my take on it, and this is what, this is where I give David Moyes credit, is that I was absolutely categorically convinced that before the game, he would sit up with five at the back. And actually, for the first time in a while, I could kind of understand it. I'm not saying I'd agree with it. I could understand it because you're playing against a team that's absolutely flying and maybe you want to focus on more containing them rather than taking the game to them but I was absolutely refreshed by the fact that, that he was playing four at the back and the formation that he created actually suggested that he was going to go for it, which I thought was brilliant. Mm. <clears throat> I was a well, bit
4: Oh, sorry, what's also worth noting just on that note is that we played a different formation against Arsenal, a different formation against, um, Ghent, a different formation against Fulham. Now we've drawn what we've won against Fulham, drawn against Ghent. You could argue isn't a great result, but that's the jury's out either way. And we're drawn against Arsenal. He's changed it three times. So those people that say, oh, he's a dinosaur. He's stuck there, his tactics. He never changed it. Changed it three times in three games.
3: Yeah, okay, but, uh, you know, it it also begs the question as to why he's suddenly making certain changes you know what I mean Is it of, a case of course of,
4: does he not know what hes last roll is? of the dice maybe because yeah.
3: he knows he's on his arse I yeah. don't know but. yeah
4: there's an argument either way but for those that say he never changed his tactics whether he's yeah. doing it for the right reasons or not it could be he still doesn't know what his best team is which is a, a joke but um either whatever way you want to argue it the fact is he has changed his team three times in three games so those that say he never changed his tactics it's so it's only got a plan a well that that would suggest that that's not the case.
3: Yeah. And when you come to the plan against Arsenal, whilst I, I was happy that it appeared that he'd be going for it, um, my concerns at that point were, were the full at West Ham because I thought, is Creswell going to get skimmed by Saka? And also, Creswell doesn't have four nails playing in front of him because he's gone with Ben Rama, and Ben Rama doesn't necessarily have the defensive duties that uh Fornauz has in terms of his contribution to helping Creswell out. So that worried me. And then I thought Martinelli, who is a player I, I rate massively like most people do, um is going to skin Shufel. But actually, this brings me on to say what an incredible job both fullbacks done. I thought they were incredible. And a lot's been said about maybe going back to the old guard with David Moyes and going back to some of the more experienced players and the players that he's worked with and knows and trusts. I thought Creswell was brilliant. I thought... It genuinely was one of the best games I've seen Schiffel play in a West Ham shirt. I thought he was absolutely superb. And and by the way, he's come up against a top quality winger there as well. Schiffel in Martinelli. Absolutely brilliant. But I I look at the game and after 10 minutes, I just thought, fuck me. This is going to be a cricket score. I thought the game's Mm. dead.
4: I thought the, the score, I thought the scoreboard would blow up because it wouldn't have enough figures. Honestly, Hon- I was, Honestly, I was, I was really worried. I was sitting there. Imagine, imagine how I'm feeling. Like, obviously, I'm not saying you know it's a case of uh, wanting to be proven right of your opinions, and that you've got the people that are moist. in and more out a little bit. Like, there's two sets of supporters. It's not that, but imagine how I'm feeling when a second goal goes in so quickly, and already my phone is starting to light up with "Ah, uh, you wanker, West Ham shit." What have you been doing? And I'm just thinking, oh my. God. God, I've got another week of this now. Um, I know, I'm just gonna I'm literally gonna have to delete my Twitter account and delete my Patreon and delete every kind of social media so imagine how I was feeling, mate, and I was feeling exactly the same as you. I was thinking oh my God, this is gonna be an absolute battering.
3: No, oh, mate. That's exactly what I thought. I think every West Ham fan thought that. And I've spoken to West Ham fans that were saying we were on the verge of walking out and to those watching at home was on the verge of turning off. And for me, I thought the game was dead after 10 minutes and I was gutted because I've had shits that that have lasted longer than fucking (laughs) West Ham's attempts against Arsenal at that given point. And I was gutted, absolutely gutted. But do you know what? I will say, to the players' credit, it would have been very easy to hide behind that and roll over. Very easy because... Mm. You know, um, confidence-wise, momentum-wise, everything was against West Ham when you go 2-0 behind at home to a team that's top of the league and they're they're chasing the title and you could have potentially have just disappeared on that pitch and just taken your hammer in. But actually, it did show real team spirit and it showed resurgence, resilience and a, a sense of togetherness and actually a sense of we are a team. And we can bring it to the best of them. And I've said, and many of us have said, that we've got the players. We've got fucking good players at West Ham that would give anyone a game. We have. But yeah. you've got to know how to use them. And on on Sunday, I, I, I thought we took it to them to a degree where we shocked them. I thought mm. they thought this is going to be a walk in the park. This is going to be a piece of piss. And I think they might have got complacent a little bit when we were fighting back. But I think the really important point to note is we didn't allow them to once they'd realised they were maybe complacent to get back into the game because we were so strong. Mm. And yes, we had a bit of luck when Saka missed a penalty. But do you know what? We've had quite a bit of bad luck gone our way this season. It's nice to see a bit of fucking luck coming our way for once. Mm. And I just thought, I looked at it and I thought, do you know what? This is a fucking good effort, this. This is what we want to see. But it does beg the question, X, why don't we see that more? Yeah. That's point number one. Against lesser sides, by the way. Mm. Why don't we play why don't we see that more? That's mm. my massive frustration with these players. Why do we not see that more? And um I think secondly, are the players playing for the manager or are they playing for themselves? And I'm interested mm. to hear your answer in this. And let me explain why I'm asking the question, right? Mm. At the West Hamway pre-match event on Sunday, both Mark Wald and Julian Dix. I thought made a really valid point because they were asked the question from rich, one of our patrons at what point, when you don't like playing this style of football, when you don't like playing this tactic, when you've lost belief in the manager, do you take this into your own hands and you start playing the way you want to play? And I just think, did that happen? Yes, ta- tactically, Moises said, I've already given them credit for that. So maybe that's the answer. Tactically, he set up for them to play the way that we played. But both Dixie and Waldy basically said, do you know what? It gets to a point where you can talk about the incompetence of the manager, the fact that you don't want to play for him anymore. But there reaches a point also where you want to play for yourself You want to play for your own reputation. You want to play for your own level of respect. You want to play for the relationship you've got with the fans. You've got to take accountability as a player and as a group. Forget what the manager's doing. You've got to take that upon yourself, that responsibility. Do you think potentially that's what happened on Sunday? Or do you think this is a Moyes Mastercraft?
4: (sighs) um that's a good question i think also what's worth noting just to put it out there again i'm not saying that they are right on this but both mark ward and julian Dink, which i was surprised that said that you should we should back david Moyes until the end of the season i think that's where it triggered these questions from because a lot of people there wouldn't have agreed with that and that's where some of these questions then spawned from but they are very good questions firstly in terms of why do we not set up against that uh, play that way every week i completely agree I don't know why we don't and what what the club needs to do going forward from this point is say look look what you did against Arsenal you got in their faces even when 2-0 down the key way to play Arsenal everyone knows it's always been the way ever since Arsene Wenger's era is to get in their face to get up them is to leave a couple of late challenges on them, is to hassle them. Arsenal like to play the ball around pretty, they like to not be hurt. I mean look at Jesus, he was rolling around ridiculously throughout most of the game, as was a number of their players. They don't like any hard challenges. Of that respect, I thought as you mentioned earlier, Shafal was brilliant against um, against Martinelli and he kept getting stuck in to legally and win the ball and stuff, but enough to let them know that he was there. I thought he was brilliant. He set the tempo of the play almost by by doing that for for the rest of the players. Um, I I think, I don't know why West Ham don't play like that, because that's where we got our success in the two previous years um, from playing like that. Moyes needs to sit them down, and say, look, look what you can do when you play with that intensity, and that will hopefully get into their heads, and they'll do that for every game. Because if they play like that for every game, we'll obviously have nothing to worry about in terms of renegation, because whilst we might not pick up all the points, we'll certainly do better than we have been doing play like that so I don't know why and it frustrates me to, to see it in a way because it shows that they can still do it so hopefully this is the turning point and you know there's always turning points in the season with these things look at you know when we stayed up before um, when Carlos Tevez scored that free kick against Spurs his first goal um, and then we ended up losing that game but then we went and beat Blackburn we came through a dodgy goal that was a turning point in that season there's often little things that turn the season you know Saka missing a a penalty and us coming back from 2-0 down. I hope that this is one of them. But in terms of what you said about the players, I think there probably is an element of truth of it. I think, you know, a lot of the players, and this is what I've tried to say to defend Declan Rice um, and to defend others, that whatever you may think of them as individuals and, you know, you think about their aspirations probably beyond West Ham. And I think no, if we were to get relegated, you know, 90% of those players will probably leave the Cup. But what they don't want on their CV is a relegation from the Premier League. There's no way that Declan Rice wants to leave West Ham after all these years and the the legacy that he's created with being the captain that got West Ham relegated when they're in the London Stadium. There's no way he wants that on his CV. The same as, I would say, all of the players, none of them are going to want that on their CV. So yes, there probably is the element of the players getting together and saying, look, whatever. We need to get ourselves out of this. We need to get ourselves out of this situation. They probably use that in terms of the psychology behind the performance. But as you alluded to earlier, they can't Change the tactics. They can't change which players are selected. If one player, um, you know, if, if if suddenly they decide that the one player that's been picked at say, I don't know, left back decides he's going to play as a centre back, and the the midfielder that's been told just to sit deep suddenly he's going to be a you know behind the front behind Antonio or whatever, if they start doing their own thing, Moyers will just pull them off and sub them off. So there's only so much they can do themselves. I think psychologically, yes, there probably is an argument that these players have got together... Under Deck and Rice, by the way, and that's another thing, people slagging him off as captain. He's he's called the groups of players together a number of times. I know that factually. and said, lads, what is going on? We need to get ourselves out of this. I know he has. And that maybe is starting to show in that performance. So, yes, there probably is an element of the players thinking, right, let's sort this shit out um, on our own. But there's only so much they could do without David Moyes. So I think it's probably unfair to just say that's why it's happened.
3: Mm. And I've said this so many times before, the manner of the performance is so important. Mm -hmm. And and by that, I mean, especially at this stage of the season, if you're going to win a game, the manner of the win is so important. So if you have one shot to the other team's 20, but you win 1-0, that's great because you've got the three points. But is that sustainable? But then again, you know, if you're if you're losing, let's say for example, we'd have lost to Arsenal two one on that performance. I'd have found encouragement on that. But mm-hmm. what we need X is consistency. Yeah, that's the absolute key here because. We did listen. It was a great performance against Arsenal. I didn't see it coming. I thought I thought it was a a show of real spirit, a real character, quality at times, grit, determination. And actually, I think you could argue we could have nicked it. So it was, it was a great spectacle, mm. one that none of us expected after ten minutes. That's for sure. But <coughs> if we then now go and lose two, three nil to Bournemouth, if it counts for nothing, yeah. So you need to have that level of performance and that that level of consistency that we know these boys have got. And Mm. that's the frustration. You look at them and you think, fuck me, you're doing this against title contenders. Why are you not doing this every week? And that's a frustration, but it's a frustration that is born from a good performance. And for this week and this week only, why don't we just say, let's enjoy <laughs> being a bit hey. awesome about a, a decent West End result and performance. <laughs> However, I'm going to caveat that with a negative oh, subject. I just to listen to? Well, to be fair... To be fair, it's one that you've alluded to. Okay, I just I just that's fine.
4: Yeah, and I do need to talk about that. But I I I, I just (laughs) hope I hope I can be given what's the day today, Monday? I hope I can be given three days until Thursday without one single West Ham fan telling me why I'm wrong and why Moyes should go. If I can get to Thursday from this point
3: onwards, I'll be very, very grateful. do do you know what, X, right? Honestly, the nuts and bolts of it for me the nuts and bolts of it for me, the B O and Endl. Is, and, and honestly, mate, I swear to God, this isn't about who's right and wrong. It's about wanting the best for West Ham. United. Yeah, of course, of course. This is, this is where we sort of differ in terms of how we can achieve that. In my opinion, if West Ham go down or stay up, we have to win that conference league. Mm. If we stay up or go down, but don't win that conference league then for me it shows David Moyes wasn't the man for the job in my opinion yeah quite possibly I, and this is know. where
4: people have got me wrong people seem to think I'm like you know sitting there waving my ginger pubes um, banner appreciation like you know I'm not I'm love not love to see
3: that banner by the way <laughs> yeah,
4: just, uh, that image in my head is disgusting <laughs> when thinking about that but anyway um, <laughs> like, I don't know why I said that either but especially on the free section where everyone can hear it but um, yeah I, yeah I, uh, I am I'm not even sitting here saying I think Moyes is the right man for next season I don't this is what some people have got seriously wrong about me I've already stressed a number of times that if the right manager is out there and I'm talking about the likes of you know the ones that spring to mind off the top of my head are company and the Celtic manager AP I'm not going to do his name again those two are the (laughs) main ones that like stand out to me and and maybe even Rogers possibly Michael Carrick as well therefore names there that I would seriously consider to replace David Moyes if they want to take the job and if all the sort of you know the, the circumstances behind it are, are right. And that's even including if we stay up and David Moyes wins the conference league. Whilst I think that would be incredibly harsh, it's something I would certainly consider. I would certainly have a conversation with with Moyes and say, right, what are we going to do differently next time in the, in the league? And if I'm not convinced by him, and, and which and I would need convincing, then I would might say. I think you've taken us as far as you can. Let us get. Let me get one of these other managers in, assuming that they would take the job. I've always, always stressed that. So I don't know where people have got this thing from that I'm just like a Moyes, a Moyes in beyond belief. And the other thing I'd like to stress is why do people give a fuck so much about what I think about whether Moyes should or not? I don't appoint David Moyes. I don't sack David Moyes. Me having this opinion has no influence on whether David Moyes will be the manager or not. I, 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 it's, it's very bizarre. At times to 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 get the message I get, like, why won't you sack him? I don't have the power to sack him. Like, you know, so it's just like, so it's just like that is why for one. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's a, very, a very 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 bizarre. Very very, very very bizarre world I live in. At times sometimes it's on some the interactions, but anyway, let's move on to the other <laughs> subject. I wish I had oh. the power. I wish I had <laughs> West Ham was a, a multi multi billionaire But uh, unfortunately, I'm very lucky with what I do do. And that's a platform to speak about. (laughs) But certainly this platform can't dictate whether you hire or sack a manager.
3: That's for sure. No, no, I'll make you right on that. But let's talk about the elephant in the room, if you like, which is now Tomasuchek. Uh, um, (laughs) Now, he touched the ball four times. In the first half, it's just painful to hear that stat. I mean, X, I'm not being funny. You know, I'm Big Tom through and through. And you're talking about banners for David Moyes. I've got one in big foam hands up, like you've seen Gladiators in <laughs> the 90s with Thomas Suchik, uh, potato salad. Yeah! <laughs> I am, I am, I'm his number one fanboy, but for yeah. fuck's sake, X. And do you know what? I'll, I'll go one more than that as well. In his post match interview, David Moyes said, um, the three boys in midfield need a hell of a lot of praise. All of them are brilliant. But he's saying that about Thomas Suchik after he's had four fucking touches in the first half. Like, what is he seeing about Thomas that the rest of us ain't seeing?
4: Mate, I find it so painful. Like, I see, for as much as I try and defend David Royce, this is the one thing that keeps coming back to me, to think to yourself, you can't defend him because he's basically, in my opinion... Almost setting up with 10 players every game, you know, and, and it's just, it's just ridiculous. How, how can a central midfielder only touch the ball four times? It's almost impossible because if you take the fact we had two centers in that time and the fact that every goal kick is aimed at him. I don't know if you've noticed that is what, arguably why he's in the team. Whenever Fabianski takes a goal kick, Suchek comes and stands sort of near the halfway line but slightly beyond and on the byline and he's meant to flick the header on to like Bowen or um, Ben Rama or whichever side the goal kicks on and he very, very, very rarely wins those headers even though he's coming up usually against a fullback who's by, by fullback traditional sizes is generally smaller than him and he very rarely wins it and then he does that thing and mate, I'm not I'm probably coming across a bit arrogant today, and I, and I don't mean to because it's, it's just a release of steam from all the shit I've taken for the last few months, I think, but I, I've been saying this since he won Hammer of the Year. I even said it when he was winning Hammer of the Year, that I think once you take the goals away, this will happen, and uh, no, and for a, despite what people may think of my opinions, this has been going on for like two years now, I cannot understand how David Moyes or any of the coaches or anyone that has any influence can say <clears throat> that he deserves his place in the team. I just don't understand it. I really don't. Flynn Downs came on and did far more in the small period of time that he was on the pitch. I think Thomas Suchek would be a much better option if, if to come from the subs bench. You know, If you're chasing a lead, or even if you're defending a lead, because he's meant to be good in the air. So if, you, if you're either scenario, I think he would be very good to come on because you can add height. It, <clears throat> it gives you a different dimension. But how he can get away, and it's not a one-off, mate. This is happening almost every single week now. He's having stats like that. I can't understand how an analyst, you know, anyone, like one of the West Ham analysts, it's not good to that said there's the stats, Decker Rice touched the ball over many times. He did, Pequena touched it this many times, Suchet touched it four times all game, and that not bring alarm bells from central midfield. It's not like he's a goalkeeper from a central midfield. I just don't get it, mate. I really don't. Have you finished? <laughs> and, mate, this is why I feel bad because – Thomas Suchek is actually a really nice fella, and I hate digging out players. I really, really do. It's not my nature, and, and that's why on Twitter I refuse to almost tweet it because I don't want to be one of those fans, but it's so frustrating. I don't know how you keep getting picked.
1: No, well you can have your say and now and now I'm going to have mine. Yeah <laughs> give me your coaching masterclass just because you are manager of the district back in seventeen thirty six. But it means fuck oh, because I am a hammer of the year, you can't. So Which you should have won you have oh, it that yeah, I'm was... gonna talk
4: now. I sound like Martin Allen now, and I actually believe it, it's you. But like, I, even when you won Hammer of the Year, Thomas, it was only the goals that you added. Once they were taken away, this is what was going to happen. You've got, you've got to get involved in the game more and stop running to the defender
1: and marking yourself. Please. Oh, wow. So you must be a Premier League manager, right there, because you're Turkey like, man. Are you even in the game? No. <laughs> I'm on Hammer of the Lear because proper West Ham fans, unlike you, know what they're talking about. I scored goals, and to I'm on Hammer of the air. To You have won it, bollocks to you. <laughs> to quote
4: many a West Ham fan this year, I'm fed up with people living on the history of two years ago.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) So next time you try and book... Fucking, you know, Jeff Pike or Trevor Brook into your 1980 FA Cup final <laughs> winning uh, country match events. I'll say to you, don't go and see that shit because it's in the past.
4: <laughs> Why have you suddenly turned into some sort of g- German um, g- camp nightclub promoter? <laughs> Is it Thomas it's because I'm not if... feeling
3: very well. I'm no, not on my best. You have not to, to have th- some tonight. <laughs> not
4: Heinz from Berlin. The-
3: is <laughs> a <laughs> like fucking Bruno, actually. <laughs> yeah, <there>? that, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do understand. In all jokes aside, it is fucking ridiculous. But uh, but especially I, when you've got someone like Flynn Downs,
4: mate, who yeah, is West Ham, yeah. West Ham through and through and like would die to play for this club and puts his heart on the sleeve every time and, and, and works so hard. Or you've got the alternative. You've got Lanzini who can hold the ball up but he's creative on the ball even you know Fonaus has got a a good work ethic. And then you even go as far as Connor Coventry, um Lewis Orford, uh, George Earthy. You know, there's players that are in that squad that can offer something different to the central midfield to what he is. And I hate I really do hate digging out players like this. I really do, and I hate it when fans do. I got it I got it again in the in the in the week when I was praising. I can't remember what player it was. I was praising now. Praise the player in the week, and I got a load of comments. I had to hide again. I'd never do that to Thomas Suche, I hope I hope he turns it around because he's a, you know, by all accounts, he's a lovely fella, and you know, he did add all those goals in his first season or second season with us, which were invaluable. But I just, I just don't understand why you would pick him. I just don't get it. And like, I, I don't know. It's not fair on him at the moment to keep picking him because all of the West Ham fans, the first thing you see when he's picked in the in the team is, oh god, not Thomas Suchik again. Mm. Um and, and I just feel like. You know, he needs a break from it for the next couple of games. And as I said, coming on as a sub, he might actually be very effective and he might rediscover his confidence and we might be able to get the player back that we. Supposedly had two years ago, and 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 then then we'll be in a much better place. But for me, if an offer comes in of any note in the summer for him, you have gotta sell him. Even if you, even if Declan goes, and even if Paqueta goes, start again, but
3: you've gotta sell him whatever, whatever the cost. Touching words there, mate. Um, (laughs) It's about hammer of the year. Um, But but all jokes aside, I I totally agree. It's it's fucking bizarre. I mean, how can you... Do you know what? We sometimes uh, say this as an example, and we're blatantly joking, right, about if we were manager, this would happen, or if we played, this would happen. I genuinely believe if me or you was in that midfield on Sunday... W- Walsh would be the worst players on the pitch with a touch of ball more than four times I think it, so. it's a mind-blowing stat that you know Man, but, I think no, that's so. Incredible.
4: I don't understand how you cannot, especially as we had two centres as well, mate. Like that's the stupid thing, mate. They, were, they were, a midfielder generally touches the ball from the centre because the forward takes the centre, plays it back to one of the midfielders, <laughs> and then, then that midfielder knocks it to the other midfielder. So even yeah. even then, even then, you would touch it two or three times, and yeah. you know, I, like, I just I just don't understand how it's physically possible. I know. Like, I, I, know. I just don't get it, and I, I don't know. Maybe we there's stuff that he does do that we don't see. There are other statistics, maybe in terms of he, I don't know, he covers, he marks people well or whatever. I don't know what an a alternative statistic could be, but wherever it is, it's just so frustrating because I genuinely believe, and I feel like a prick saying it, yeah, but I genuinely
3: believe we set up with 10 men every time he starts at the moment. <sighs> So a big game on Thursday, really. You know, one that we've got to be careful not to overlook. We can't get complacent. Um, I think it's easy to potentially be complacent against a side like that, although this is a European Cup quarterfinal. What do you do, X? Because a few days later, we've got Bournemouth away, and that's an equally as, as important in terms of Premier League survival. That's a massive game as well. So with that in mind, how do you approach the uh, the home tie against Ghent? I think you've
4: got to do the strongest team possible, but with, no, some, I but with some alternations. So I, I, think, I think I'd think i put Ariona in goal just because that's the standard thing to do in the Cups, even though I'd argue that Fabianski has probably played slightly better over the last few games maybe. I don't know, I don't know if I'm conv- convinced on that argument, but there's certainly not as much in it as I thought there'd be this year. I think you should bring in Emerson for Cresswell. I mean, Cresswell should be managed now Unplayed, played against Bournemouth. Um, I think you should maybe drop, not drop, rest, rest because we know that his heel and his foot's been a bit delicate um, recently. So I would put either Kerr at right back or there I say it because he's the man that everyone's like as well as Suchet's getting a sticker like with Johnson at right back and then um, I think I would uh, rest Antonio I'd have him on the bench if we need him but um I'd have Danny Ings start that game I'd probably put Cornet in I think Cornet definitely needs to start even even if I'd put Cornet up front to Danny Ings because he brought Cornet on as the forward for Antonio and Cornet's getting five minutes here and there I think Cornet definitely needs to start I think Lanzini and four now should start but I think you need a core there like I'd still play Zuma alongside either of Bonner or Gwed. I'd still play Declan uh, as much as you don't want to burn him out I think he's he's able to play that game I'd still play Bowen so I think you've got to get the mixture between an, some rotation but enough to have your strongest chance of winning
3: Yeah, I, listen, I, I think it's, oh, it's such an important game and I think you run the risk of overlooking Ghent. Now, I, I think, honestly, and, and some people say, oh, Dave, how can you say that? You're not in the game and this is a European competition and they're in good form, et cetera, et cetera. For me, it's inexcusable not to beat Ghent over two legs. It is. It's inexcusable. We must be beating Ghent over two legs. We've sort of lost the opportunity to get the, um, the upper end away from home. So now it comes down to the one fixture at home. So I'd be very, very skeptical about making too many changes. I think you've got to go out with a as strong a side as possible, maybe with the odd tweak at best. Um to potentially even even slightly weaken yourself to go into Bournemouth for me, just so we can get over the line and get into that semi-final, is yeah. in my opinion.
4: I mean um, I think you're right though. I actually think the the Gink game games in some ways, and I know it sounds stupid with the relegation battle in some ways more important than the Bournemouth game because I think, oh, we should, yeah, I, think we, I think we should beat, again, if we put the right team out and gets the semi-finals. I'm not convinced, just because of the form that Bournemouth are in at the moment, that we'll beat them regardless of what team we put out. Um, so it'd be stupid to sacrifice Thursday for Sunday. I think we'll have enough points to stay up. I think we'll beat Leeds. I think we'll beat Leicester. I can see us getting a point against... Um, Palace, I think we we might even do well against Liverpool at home. Um, you know, Liverpool haven't been the same side, um, that they have been. I think that's, I think the relegation battle now, personally, and I know I might be getting a little bit complacent here, but I think it's Leeds, Everton, Forest, Leicester, Southampton. I think West Ham upwards, and so that's West Ham, Bournemouth, Walls, and Palace now are, are enough away because we're actually four points above the relegation zone. Um, five, if you include goal difference, right, from Knox Forest, we're, you know, we're, we're eight, we're, um, nine. If you include goal difference above Southampton, you know we're. We, I think I think we've got enough. These teams have to play each other. You know Southampton are playing. Was it Man City at the weekend? I think they've all got tough games. I think we'll have enough. If we don't get the three points against Bournemouth, it's not the end of the world. Whereas if we get knocked out against um, mm. Gink on Thursday, it would be a massive disappointment. So I would arguably, even though I think staying up's more important than. The the Conference League, mm. I think that game against Bournemouth. I mean the one again, and the and the game on Thursday. The game on Thursday has more riding on it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I make you right. Can't disagree with that, mate. Well, after the return leg on Thursday, we face an informed Bournemouth side away from home, as we just said. Let's find out some more about the Cherries. Formed in 1899 as Boscom St John's Institute, the club adopted their current name in 1972. AFC Bomber's badge features a footballer heading a ball, but although the man in the crest looks quite generic, the character was created in honour of club icon Dickie Dowsett, who scored nearly 80 goals for the club from 1957 to 1962. After wearing red shirts for the majority of their existence, the club switched to the red and white stripes in the early 1970s. The new look was based on AC Milan. The club's nickname is the Cherries, and strangely enough, there are two theories behind this name. One is that the luxurious Cooper Dean estate was based next to their stadium and that estate was lined with Cherry Orchids. The other is that they quite simply played in Cherry Stripes. Bournemouth was the first club Harry Redknapp managed and he held that post for nine years. To this day, H is still a resident in Bournemouth, living in the beautiful Sandbanks. Their biggest rivals are Southampton, but they also have a dislike for Portsmouth, Brighton, Reading and Town. AFC Bournemouth's honours include winning the second and third tiers of English football once, Football League Trophy once and the Football League Third Division South Cup. Famous fans include Rishi Sunak, Alex James, Jane Middlemas and Jamie Reynolds.